You know, the ultimate story of the Bible is one of divine reversal, especially as you look at the end of the story when God reverses the curse and there's new heavens and a new earth. Look at the cross. God used the horror of the cross for our ultimate good, and he uses many things in our life that look to be evil. He uses them. He turns them around for good. More on that today as we dive into Esther 9 on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Even all the princes of the provinces, three, the satraps, the governors, those who were doing the king's business, all the big wigs of Persia, assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. I believe that not only can God do this for a country, but he can do this for an individual. He can have his hand so on your life. I have gone into some places, brothers and sisters, by myself as a pastor where I was like, I am going into the lion's den. That's how it felt. And there, are, there were times when, you know, boldness wasn't the first thing that came to mind. I didn't feel as bold as a lion, and I had to just cry out to God. Many memorial services I was called off to do, and, you know, there I am in a cemetery. I don't, I don't know anybody there, and I've been called to preach the gospel. And you're like, oh, Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? <laughs> Could I just mix in with the crowd and say, yeah, I don't think the preacher showed up today. I don't know, I don't know where he is, Right? But then the Lord says, no, no, I've called you. And I've already prepared this moment in time. And I've already prepared these people's hearts. And I've called you. So preach my word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Nobody could, people were freaked out by Mordecai, the Jewish people, all of it. What a change has happened in Mordecai's life. We're first introduced to, uh, to him in chapter two and he's introduced as a man who ended up in Persia because of the captivity of his, you know, his ancestors. He's, he's a captive in a foreign land. He's, he sits at the king's gate and now he's the number two leader in the Persian empire. That is only God. Only God can do that. And thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword killing and destroying. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now the day has come. And what's implicit in verse five is that the Jews had assembled. They prepared themselves to defend themselves. Their enemies came and they took up the sword. And notice the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now that phrase they did what they pleased, I think is kind of like what we would say, they had their way with them. Or we would say, for those of you who are sports fans, if a team has their way with another team, if they're just toying with an opponent, if they could do anything against this other team, if, if they could run any play in basketball, score at will, that's what the language seems to be. It seems to be that any of their enemies that came at them, the Jews just had the power and the favor of God and, and sadly people died, but 
It's what happens in war. It's those who hated them. End of verse 5. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now, think for a moment. Who in Persia would still want to kill the Jews after knowing that Mordecai was number two, knowing what had happened to Haman, knowing that a counter-edict had been signed by the signet ring of the king? Why? Who's left to want to do something against the Jewish people? This tells you how deep the hate ran. How deep the hatred for the Jews was. It's been implied in earlier studies, but now we can see it. There were people who were just waiting for the day that they could have some decree to take out their hatred against the Jews. What is going on there? Why do people today hate the Jewish people? Why is there so much anti-Semitism why, in our own land, people are still making comments in this direction. People in places of power as well. It's a bit frightening. Well, the Jews, in a defensive posture, and that's the way we have to see it, they took up the sword, and they were dominant. In Susa, the capital, six, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, just to show you how widespread. This is just the capital city the battle went. By the way, there's never a mention anywhere in the text that Israel suffered any casualties. I don't know for sure, but there's no mention. They killed 500 men, and here's a list of names that Pastor Michael will do his best with. And Parshantatha, Dolphin, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I was going to make a dolphin noise here, but I'm not going to do it. Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha, Parmashta, Arasai, Aradai, and Vaiz Zatha. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, they killed 500 men, notice, in the capital city. And then these are the ten names of the sons of Haman. All of his sons also were killed. The sons that, remember, he was boasting about a few chapters ago? He had to remind his wife how many sons they had. <laughs> yeah, and I got this going on, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm high up in the government, and Esther only invites me and the king to dinner, and I got this, and I got that. But that Jew, Mordecai, won't bow before me. None of it means anything without that. Well, now his ten sons pay the price, and they go down, and they are killed. Well, why are these people fighting against Israel? Why did they continue? I think that there are spiritual origins that we need to see behind the whole scene. The dread of the Jews and Mordecai was from God. The hatred of the Jews was ultimately from Satan. And remember, I reminded you throughout history, from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, to the Medo-Persian Empire, to segments of the Grecian Empire, to Rome, going back up now past the time of Jesus into history, even from segments of the church. There has been a hatred toward the Jewish people. 
And now, even in our own day, more and more comments coming in that direction. What is at the core of this? Well, the names of Haman's sons, says one writer, reinforce the author's message that this is a holy war. They are special uh, interest because they may be what's called Deva names of ancient Persia. Let me explain. Deva or Daiva names were once used of the gods in early Iranian and Hindu writings, but later became associated with demonic powers in Eastern religions. If the names of Haman's sons do reflect this origin, the original readers would have probably recognized them as such. The author lists the names of Haman's sons possibly uh, to the allegiance of Haman and his family to the demonic powers of darkness and evil, and therefore they are properly casualties of holy war. According to Yamauchi, uh, one who wrote on Persia and the Bible, some of the names have been found among some of the extant texts discovered at a place called Persepolis, which is in this area. Here's the interesting reason why they may have been listed. Because in some way, his son's names are associated with demonic powers or false gods. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that there's a battle behind the battle? There's a spiritual war behind the war. There are things that fuel hatred of God and anti-Semitism and hatred of the church and the Bible that are not just human in origin. In fact, Paul says we don't even wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Do you know that I don't think that you could even explain world history without an understanding of what the Bible says is the battle behind the battle. If I were to set aside my Bible for the next half an hour and just tell you about the world history that unfolds from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon to Medo-Persia and so forth, you would see what happens in world history and how the Bible is just really confirmed in it. And so the 10 sons of Haman were killed. But notice in verse 10, the Jews did not lay their hands on the plunder or the spoil, even though the edict from Haman said that, or from Mordecai, I'm sorry, said that they could. They did not lay their hands on the spoil. That's going to be mentioned three times. They did not take the plunder. Why? Why didn't they take the spoil? Now, let me take you back for a second. Do you remember I told you that in the book of Exodus, we were told that God would have war with Amalek forever because the Amalekites attacked Israel from the rear and didn't give them rest. And so God said, I'm going to have war with Amalek forever. In 1 Samuel 15, fast forward in your mind through your Bible, kind of walk down the highway, Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And God tells Saul, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. I want you to utterly destroy them. Everything. Don't keep one thing. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth weekend program. Are you a golfer? Would you like to have some fun on the green for a great cause? Join Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship for the sixth annual Royal Family Kids Golf Tournament. It takes place on Saturday, May 11th at the beautiful Dos Lagos Golf Course in Corona. 
Royal Family Kids is a camp for children in the foster care system. This summer, they get taken to San Diego and spend a week having fun and being showered with love. Since many of the children have never even experienced a birthday party, this camp makes sure to throw them one. Just one of the many ways kids experience the love of Jesus at the camp. Your participation in the golf tournament makes it so another local foster child gets to go. Register today by calling 844-48-TRUTH during regular business hours or visit walkintruth.com. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. There are things that fuel hatred of God and anti-Semitism and hatred of the church and the Bible that are not just human in origin. In fact, Paul says we don't even wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Do you know that I don't think that you can even explain world history without an understanding of what the Bible says is the battle behind the battle. If I were to set aside my Bible for the next half an hour and just tell you about the world history that unfolds from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon to Medo-Persia and so forth, you would see what happens in world history and how the Bible is just really confirmed in it. And so the 10 sons of Haman were killed But notice in verse 10, the Jews did not lay their hands on the plunder or the spoil, even though the edict from Haman said that, or from Mordecai, I'm sorry, said that they could. They did not lay their hands on the spoil. That's going to be mentioned three times. They did not take the plunder. Why? Why didn't they take the spoil? Now, let me take you back for a second. Do you remember I told you that in the book of Exodus, We were told that God would have war with Amalek forever because the Amalekites attacked Israel from the rear and didn't give them rest. And so God said, I'm going to have war with Amalek forever. In 1 Samuel 15, fast forward in your mind through your Bible, kind of walk down the highway. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And God tells Saul, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. I want you to utterly destroy them everything. Don't keep one thing. Well, in 1 Samuel 15, what happens is that he takes the king Agag, and remember, we have Haman, who's an Agagite, so he comes down from this line throughout history. He keeps the king, captures the king, and then the people, he blames the people for it, take the spoil. Samuel arrives and says, well, did you do what God called you to do? Paraphrase. Saul says, Well, yeah, kinda. And Samuel says, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep then? And why do I hear, well, well, we took the stuff. It's true, we took the stuff, but we're we're gonna offer it to God as an offering. And Saul makes excuses. And Samuel says to Saul, look, obedience is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is as divination before the Lord. And because you have disobeyed the Lord, the Lord is taking the kingdom or the kingship away from you. And that very day, remember Saul reached out and he grabbed the edge of Samuel's garment and he tore it. And Samuel said, the kingdom is torn from you 
And Saul was trying to repent and fall all over himself, but it was too late. Now we ask, why did God say, deal with everything, wipe everything out? Because the Amalekites had war with God from the book of Exodus. Fast forward to Saul's time. Saul was supposed to finish the job, but he didn't finish the job. He took the plunder when he shouldn't have taken the plunder because Saul was acting as one who would execute divine wrath. Please hear me. What God often does in nations and sometimes in individual lives is a nation can become a vehicle by which God executes his wrath. He did it to his own people. He used Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a foreign pagan king, to discipline his own people. See, God will use the natural things on the chessboard, if you will, to move his will. He wanted Saul to execute his will against Amalek. Saul refused, and we fast forward to the time of Esther later, and what's happened now? A man from that lineage of that king has risen up against Israel, and he wants to annihilate them all. That's what God wanted avoided. So now, the people of Israel in Persia finished the job that Saul failed to complete. And by not taking the plunder or the spoil, even though the, the command said they could, they are, in essence, reversing the failure of Saul. Everybody with me? That's how this, this weaves together throughout your Bible. They have every right to take it, but they don't take it because they see themselves as simply executing God's wrath against God's enemies. And at the center of this is the Agagite enemy or the Amalekites represented by Haman's family and his 10 sons. And this is brutal, but this is what happens. In ancient warfare, if you as a leader were captured and killed, they would kill your family as well. You say, why, man, that's brutal. Because they didn't want one of your ancestors to rise up and try to get revenge. They didn't want a coup to come from your own family so they would destroy everybody so that there would be no possibility of that happening. It's brutal, but it's the way they did things. And so they won't take the plunder. Can you think of some people in the uh, Old Testament who took the spoil when they weren't supposed to and got themselves in deep trouble? Uh, remember Achan in the uh, book of Joshua? They, the people of Israel go and they devastate Jericho and God's with them. And God says, everything's under the ban. You are simply my instrument to bring divine wrath to the Canaanite peoples who sacrifice their children on the altars, who burn incense to foreign gods, who are evil. You're gonna be my tool. It's not that you're so great, Israel, but you're gonna be my divine tool. So Israel goes in there, but Achan sees a nice robe and some silver and gold. There's songs about it, silver and gold. It's just shiny and attractive. And there was a cool robe and it fit him. It was the right size. And so he went, oh, it won't be a problem. Oh, I'll take these couple of things. And he took them and he took the gold and then the children of Israel went to Ai and they should have wiped him out and Ai beat him up and devastated him. And Joshua goes to the Lord and goes, Lord, what happened? Why did we lose? And God says, uh, come into my office. There's sin in the camp. What do you mean, Lord? Well, people took stuff for themselves and they weren't supposed to personally profit from this because you're just my instrument of divine wrath. 
And some people have taken some stuff, and Achan was found out. And let me just say, it did not end well for Achan or his family. Do you remember Gehazi? Uh, what is it, Naaman, the Syrian leader, goes to the prophet, and he, the prophet tells him, you know, go ahead and dip in the Jordan River, and uh, he finally obeys. And then Gehazi, you know, the, the Syrian leader wants to offer money to the prophet for the healing, and he says, no, I don't want your money. Gehazi, the assistant of the prophet, rides back and goes, hey, uh, you still got that money? <laughs> because uh, the prophet changed his mind. He wants it now. He's a little short on his bills, you know, and things are a little tight, you know, prophet, and you know, this is not always the best prophet. Anyway, and so can I have some of that stuff and I'll bring it back to him? And he takes it and he ends up in trouble. And the prophet says, wasn't my spirit with you when you were going there? What were you thinking? Remember when Abram wins the battle to rescue Lot and the king of Sodom comes up to Abram and offers him some stuff. And Abram says to the king of Sodom, he says, I will not take anything from your hand lest the wicked city of Sodom be the source of my prosperity, paraphrase. Uh, one writer says, this example of Abram refusing to take booty from the king of Sodom sets an example or a precedent for, for God's people. I don't want dirty money or anything or you to be able to say, you are the one that enriched me. No. Well, I think there's a reversal going on in that Israel could have taken it, but did not. And on that day, the number of those who were killed in Susa, the capital, was reported to the king. So we have the number in the previous verse, uh, 500, uh, actually several verses ago in verse 6. And now the report comes to the king of all those who were killed. And the king said to Queen Esther, verse 12, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman in Susa, the capital. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? If that's what they did in the capital, what else? Now he says, now what's your petition? It shall even be granted you. What is your further request? It shall be done. Now it doesn't say that she asked him for anything. Was it her body language? I don't know. Why does the king at this point ask her for what she wants? Has he fallen under the dread of the Jews as well? Is he going, well, maybe I should give her whatever she wants because these people are pretty powerful. I don't know. But he asked her, what more do you want? He can see that obviously Israel is effectively devastating the enemy. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, 13, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today. Remember, the edict was only for one day. And let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. And all God's people said of Esther, what's up, girl? Really? What's happened to sweet little Esther? Depicted in all the caricatures in the Sunday school books and the movies as this little, you know, slip of a girl who, by God's grace, ended up in the Persian leadership. Now she's asking for people to be impaled on poles and stuff like that? Why? Well, you know, 
Sometimes there are hard stories in the Word of God. We see Esther as the hero of this tale and don't want to learn that she did something that seems unfavorable, but here it is. This is a true story, and justice is part of what God meets out in the Bible. And I will have to say, if anybody deserved justice, it was Haman. Well, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I have a special announcement. Thanks to our faithful donors, we were able to add the 1030 slot on KKLA in Los Angeles, which really reaches to many different areas. I'd like to say hello to you if you're listening then. And thank you from the bottom of my heart to you who have believed in this mission and donated to the cause. It really impacts a lot of people, maybe more than you could imagine. Through your giving, we've been able to expand our reach and touch many, many more hearts. And I just want to say thank you, and I praise the Lord for your generosity. Hey, what are you doing today? What are you doing with your spiritual walk? Are you going to church? Well, if you're not, I would love to urge you to change your plans and make fellowship and worshiping God a non-negotiable. Get into some fellowship today. I'm praying that you do. If not, make sure that you visit walkintruth.com. You can listen to the messages there If you're a shut-in and there's no way that you can get to a church, we totally understand, and we'd love for you to access these Bible messages in the book of Esther, and there's other stuff there as well when you go to walkintruth.com. Now, make sure you tune in on Monday to hear more from Esther chapter 9 and how the Jews go from condemned to honored and really from a terrible situation to a celebration. Until then, may God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.